Without doubt, the impact of COVID-19 and the requirement for employees to work remotely has drawn employers' health and safety obligations more sharply into focus. I'm Kevin Langford, a partner in the Employment Law Group at Arthur Cox. Today, my colleague Sarah Faulkner and I are going to examine some key considerations for employers in the context of their obligations to maintain a safe place of work while employees are working remotely. The first point to make is that the obligations in relation to maintaining a safe place of work are the same, irrespective of whether employees are working from the employer's premises or whether they are working from home. By virtue of the applicable circumstances, the specific actions that an employer will take in order to discharge its statutory obligations may change. We are going to look at certain considerations for you as an employer in the context of increased home working, particularly in light of COVID. We will also look at potential pitfalls and areas of exposure from a health and safety perspective. So as an employer, what should you be doing to discharge your obligations in relation to health and safety while your employees are working remotely? There are, of course, a range of measures that can be put in place, but for the purpose of this briefing, we have focused on conducting a risk assessment, communication with your employees, putting in place a remote working policy, and finally, providing furniture and equipment to those working from home. Sarah, can I ask you first to address the issue of risk assessments? Thanks, Kevin. A risk assessment is aimed at determining whether there are any health and safety concerns with employees' existing home working arrangements. Of course, all home working environments will be different. And as Kevin said at the start, although an employer's obligations in relation to maintaining a safe place of work will remain the same, the actual actions that an employer may take will vary in response to the particular home working environment. The Health and Safety Authority have published guidance in relation to home working that states that a home working risk assessment should be carried out by a competent person. And a competent person is described as someone with sufficient training, experience and knowledge who can carry out an on-screen equipment risk assessment of an employee's workstation. The HSA have also provided a home working risk assessment checklist and this is for the process in relation to risk assessing a particular home working environment. That checklist is broken out into a two-stage process. In stage one, the employee's equipment and resources are risk assessed. There's a checklist to send out to all employees who work from home and that's whether they're working from home on a full-time or on a part-time basis. The employers identify the equipment and the resources that the employees need in order for the employees to work from home. The second step then is for the equipment and resources to be assessed against the checklist by a competent person in consultation with the employee. That system of checking can be done through the use of video calls or through an online platform and the person who is assessing the workplace records any specific issues that are identified and agrees corrections. Once the corrections are actioned then, the home working assessment is signed off by the assessor and by the employee. Kevin, I know you've dealt with this for various clients recently. Did you have anything to add? Just to say, in practical terms, the conducting of a risk assessment in this manner involves engagement with the employer. We would suggest a short video call with someone with appropriate expertise to deal with health and safety and ergonomics, potentially from within the employer's organisation. The template risk assessment goes into a fairly granular level of detail in relation to the specifics of the home working environment and involves an assessment of matters such as whether there is a dedicated room, a dedicated workstation, an appropriate chair, 
and a docking station. Where homeworking has been mandated by the government, there may not be an absolutely perfect solution to each item on the risk assessment checklist. What is important is that an employer makes reasonable efforts to ensure that the homeworking environment is safe. The statutory obligation imposed on employers with regard to health and safety obligations is to ensure a safe place of work insofar as is reasonably practicable. So if an employee does not have space for a dedicated workstation at home, but by virtue of the government guidance is required to work from home, there is not much that an employer can do to ameliorate that situation. An employer's obligations with regard to health and safety import an element of reasonableness, so the unusual and strict requirements during the pandemic would be taken into consideration. In relation to the second point, communication, the obvious risk with the increase in remote working is that employees feel increasingly isolated. This can have implications for employees' mental health and well-being. Scheduling time for informal conversations will be important to ensure that employees maintain a level of connectivity to the workplace and do not feel isolated and unsupported. We would recommend that employers always ensure that they have up-to-date and correct contact information for all employees and that regular phone and email updates occur throughout each working week. Equally, it is important to communicate to employees that they should be taking regular rest breaks. Employers should ensure that employees' work is organised in such a way that employees may take regular breaks and that they can separate their work from their home life. Employees should be updated regularly in relation to significant matters in the workplace and should be provided with detailed information in relation to how and when they may make contact. So if I can just move on to the third issue that we're going to focus on, it's the issue of remote working policies. Sarah, surely at this time, remote working policies are now more important than ever. Yes, definitely. Remote working has increased dramatically for obvious reasons over the last 12 months. And for that reason, a remote working policy that clearly puts parameters on the remote working arrangement is crucial. This avoids there being any discrepancy between an employee's understanding of his or her obligations when they're working from home and the employer's expectations. Such a policy can also serve to reduce the levels of stress and anxiety in relation to what the expectations might actually be. So a homeworking policy should set out criteria and requirements for employees when they're working from home. The policy should include safety-specific information, for example, the arrangements that an employer has put in place to assess the risks and responsibilities of employees to report risks and any work-related accident to the employer. Outside of the COVID-19-specific working-from-home arrangements, a remote working policy should also cover what the remote working arrangements will be, as in whether they're going to be offered on an ad hoc or on a permanent basis. To a certain extent, this might not apply rigidly during COVID, as many employers will, will actually just be adapting their policies in response to the changing government guidelines. The home working policy should also set out what equipment will be provided by the employer, for example, a chair, a desk, a monitor, etc. That brings us on then to the final point that we wanted to mention to you in relation to employers' health and safety obligations, the provision of furniture and equipment. Again, an employer's obligations in relation to providing these items will largely be determined by the circumstances in which an employee is working remotely. If, for example, the employee is working remotely as a result of government guidelines that everyone should work remotely, then an employer's obligations in relation to ensuring the safe place of work at an employee's home 
may not be as stringently applied as if the employee were required to work from home by the employer on a normal ongoing basis. So to the extent that homeworking is an option and there is an office workplace that employees can go to, then the employer isn't necessarily obliged to provide furniture and equipment in order to facilitate an employee who's homeworking. The most important thing for an employer will be to ensure that the employee has access to a safe place of work and the onus may be placed on the employee to ensure that his or her homeworking environment is sufficiently safe. If that's not the case, then the employee can be required to physically attend the workplace. If, however, an employee is ordinarily required to work from home and doesn't have access to a workplace, then the employer must ensure that appropriate equipment and furniture, etc., is being used. Moving on then from general considerations and measures to put in place, we're going to look briefly at some of the pitfalls or potential areas of exposure that we see in light of the increased level of remote working, and Kevin's going to talk through some of these. There are two issues to consider here. The first is the issue of the employer's reasonableness in considering a request to work remotely. When considering an employee's request to work from home, employers should consider the potential implications of a refusal. The Workplace Relations Commission recently upheld a constructive dismissal complaint where an employer, a facilities management company, refused an employee's request to work from home. The employee claimed that the refusal to allow her to work from home meant that she and her colleagues were at an increased risk of exposure to COVID-19. And the WRC agreed with this, finding that the employee had no real option but to resign. The employee in that case had made a range of reasonable proposals to reduce time spent in the office and to mitigate the risk of transmission of the virus, all of which were rejected by the employer. The award of compensation in that case was low, just under €4,000, but that was because the employee had got a new job and financial loss was limited. However, the maximum potential award in a case such as that is up to two years remuneration as compensation. Employers should give due consideration to requests to work remotely, particularly in circumstances where there is an ongoing risk of transmission of COVID-19. Employers can refuse such requests where it is essential for the employee to attend at the workplace. However, we would always urge that the employer should take a devil's advocate approach and challenge whether the employee's presence in the office is actually essential or whether it is convenient for the employer. The same stringent approach to requests to work from home is less likely to apply once the lower levels of government restrictions come into play and there is a reduced risk of infection. The second issue to consider is the increased likelihood of employees feeling stressed or isolated. Work-related stress is defined by the Health and Safety Authority as when a person perceives the work environment in such a way that their reaction involves feelings of an inability to cope. Naturally, feelings of stress are heightened during the pandemic. Additionally, stress may be brought on by perceived or real pressures, deadlines within the workplace, etc. For certain employees, homeworking may lead to reduced or to no social interaction. Depending on the particular home circumstances of the employee, working from home may in and of itself be a stressor. In order to avoid employees feeling isolated and to prevent an increase in employee stress levels, we recommend that there is regular engagement and meaningful discussion with employees in relation to how they are finding the homeworking environment. 
A regular source of stress for employees can be increased working hours or increased demand with regard to availability outside of normal working hours. This can result in the boundary between work and home being blurred, thereby reducing work-life balance. Employers should be clear with regard to the expectations of employees in relation to their availability throughout the day and throughout the week. Under the Organization of Working Time Act 1997, a maximum of 48 hours on average may be worked in any given week, and there are various requirements with regard to rest breaks. Employers should ensure that these are adhered to and that employees feel supported in adhering to a set number of working hours in each day in the working week. Sarah, what types of claims do you foresee in the context of the increase in remote working? Thanks, Kevin. Following what we discussed earlier in relation to increased levels of employee stress, there could be an increase in personal injury complaints as a result of remote working. Personal injury can be both physical and mental, and in circumstances where employees are facing an increased level of stress, the likelihood of personal injury claims for work-related stress and bullying increases. Again, our recommendation here is to ensure that to the greatest extent possible, employees are supported while they're working from home by considering the matters we listed in the first part of this briefing. So a clearly defined policy, regular communication, risk assessments to avoid any physical injury, adhering to working time requirements, etc. Where an employee alleges that the employer has caused him or her a personal injury, the claim is likely to be at least partially grounded in an employer's breach of its obligations under the Safety, Health and Welfare at Work Acts. From a plaintiff's perspective, and the plaintiff would be the employee in this instance, one of the main advantages of a claim for breach of statutory duty over a claim in negligence is the potential of strict liability and the common law principle that responsibility for breach of a defendant's statutory duty is non-delegable. This effectively means that if there's a breach of statutory duty, the employer is liable for the injury without the employee having to prove that the employer's actions were intentional or unreasonable. One additional point that's worth considering before we finish is in the context of remote working from abroad. Increasingly, we're receiving queries from employers where employees are seeking to work remotely from abroad, and in certain circumstances, depending on the length of time that the employee spends abroad, health and safety requirements in the jurisdiction in which the employee is working may apply. Another consideration that's relevant in the context of remote working from abroad from a health and safety perspective is that insured benefits may be affected by an employee's decision to work remotely abroad. Specifically, private health insurance, permanent health insurance and debt and service benefits could stipulate that employees are required to remain resident in Ireland in order to be eligible to receive benefits under those policies. In light of COVID-19, some of those policies might also stipulate that cover won't apply in circumstances where an employee is in a jurisdiction in which the infection rate is higher than Ireland. This is just something to bear in mind in the context of any requests from an employee to work remotely from abroad. Thanks, Sarah, and thanks everyone for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions in relation to this briefing, please contact Sarah or myself, or indeed your usual Arthur Cox contact. Goodbye for now, and stay safe.